man, <clears throat> welcome to the Madness Continues podcast. This is Brendan Lemon. Uh, my guest today, Law Torello. Hey. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, let me turn your this mic up great. a little bit there. Yeah, I can get closer, too. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. <laughs> Not look it, at you it for feels, the next... It feels like you have to be strangely like intimate <clears throat> with your microphone. Uh, yeah. Man, I, so we just met recently through uh, Josh Stone's throw. We did. He changed his name. Yeah. Should we start with that? Yeah. What did he change? It's now what? Josh... Uh, Shine is his real name. Joshua Shine. Yeah. Both of those don't sound like real names. No, they both sound... I think I went out to breakfast with him and he was talking about... He was like, I'm going to change my name from Joshua Stonesrow to Joshua Shine because Stonesrow was like his mother's maiden name or something. Is I that forget. true? I thought he just totally made it up. No, I thought it was like... There was some actual root native, to it. Which I like. And it was funny because he was talking about it and then he said his other name was Shine. I'm like, that sounds like a stage name too. Yeah, like, it's all fake. <laughs> I like that he changed his uh, name because he was getting divorced. Yeah. And he didn't want the material that he was doing about his ex-wife to get back to her kids. Oh, no. Not his kids with her. She had kids prior to <laughs> oh, meeting man. him. So he was like, if I do material that's about how horrible this woman is, I want to not oh, have her God. kids here. That was like, that's, very, <laughs> that's very respectful. He no, changed his name super, for that. That's very nice. That's super nice of him. Um, but I, let's talk about uh, Josh Stone's throw, by the way, is a comedian and now in Atlanta, but was in Chicago he for was. all those people listening from Cora and... Uh, SoundCloud and elsewhere, but let's talk about you, man. Sure. You're, um, you've been in the comedy world for a while, working at Second City, <laughs> working at doing improv, doing commercial work and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. My background's a little weird. Um, I was a theatery theater cat. Yeah. And the, the long story short, because I've been at this for a while, man. Um, I mean, I really, I literally got paid to do my first professional play when I was seven years old. Really? So I've been doing the same damn thing forever. When I have students, whether it's in an improv class or an acting class, I usually tell them, imagine the seven-year-old version of yourself, uh-huh. ask it what it wants to do for the rest of it, your life, and then do that. And that's pretty much what I've done. So which you doesn't knew early on that successful. you wanted to do this, though. I knew that I didn't want to do much else. <laughs> <laughs> that's different than... <laughs> Yeah. necessarily wanting to do this all the time. Yeah, but you knew that you could you didn't want to like work in an office or like I definitely knew that. Yeah, or be in a factory or some yeah. other type my of Yeah, my mom worked uh in the library and she hated it. And my dad was a firefighter and he loved that, mm. but he risked dying eminently. Yeah. It was constantly concerned. Yeah, I mean he's running into burning buildings all the time. Jeez. Not as often as people think though. Yeah, it's that's a, pretty it's intense a, though. It is. It is. Yeah, my, my pops lived through a 9-11, man. Holy cr- In New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a Brooklyn firefighter. Oh, and my God. He was a first responder that well, day. Well, you're from New York, aren't you? I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're, uh, so, but you're in Chicago now, and you moved out yeah. here recently. I did last summer. So this is, uh, whatever, eight months or so. Yeah. So, yeah. but I want, let's back up, because sure, you were sure. seven years old in Brooklyn, and you got your <laughs> first, pay, first paid acting gig. I did, yeah. And what was that? I mean, like, so this I is I played weird. a Polish kid. I was an Italian kid who played a <laughs> Polish kid, so that means that my friends were uh, relentlessly horrible about it to me, <laughs> because for Italians... In Brooklyn in the 80s, Polish kids were like the only kids we could pick on. Yeah. Irish kids and Jewish kids they picked had already, on us. Yeah, they, had they already. were established. <laughs> so now that I was like, I was, I was, to a bunch of my friends, I just was Polish now. I had, I lost my Italian card. Oh my God. I was Polish because I played a Polish kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a fun play. So you already just early on were getting, yeah, it was like a test for your, uh, your, how committed are you to the craft? Right. Yeah. Yeah, oh my I, had to, I had to turn my back on my my countrymen. 
<laughs> uh, no, I don't know, man. It was it was fun. So yeah, I did that, and then uh, my mom got us the hell out of Brooklyn because it was super violent and pretty horrific. I really? had family members who were doing time. I lived in a very mafia. What what area did you live? It's in? called. It was. It's still called. It's Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Okay, got it. So in the eighties, that's where there was a lot of uh, um, ethnic based violence. Pretty really? much anyone who was an Italian that found themselves in our neighborhood would found themselves in our neighborhood would be uh, either beaten or something horrible would really? happen to them. Why? Was Why was that? Would that happen? Because they're racist people. They're, yeah. they're wow. small minded people who wow. um, were problematic. And That's yeah, like I had intense, a cousin man. who was doing time in Rikers when I was a kid. Shut up. Really? No. Yeah. It was rough. Wow. So my mom was like, we're getting the hell out of here. Because I was a sensitive kid, man. I was a little artist. Yeah, you're seven years I old. I was doing it on it was stage. nothing about me. I've always been husky. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was a, I was still very sensitive. You were probably like a seven year old playing a fourteen year old in a play. <laughs> he was actually in his late twenties. <laughs> That's pretty good. No, yeah, he was. Yeah, it was about. The, yeah, that's about right. So yeah, I uh, we, we so we won't. She, my mom got us out of Brooklyn, but it, it took me out of the entertainment industry because there's no. She moved us to Central New York in this tiny, tiny little town. The, the I always the, the easiest way to put it is the high school that I would have graduated from in Brooklyn. My graduating class would have been almost fourteen hundred kids. Uh huh. And I ended up going to a school where I graduated with seventy seven kids. Dang. So that was a, the transition to uh, two hundred times smaller. Uh, unreal. And everybody knew everything about you. Um, people didn't like us because we sounded different. I mean, I it doesn't come across necessarily now, but I used to have a very strong New York dialect. Wow. A very very strong little Brooklyn accent. And when I so when I moved there. Uh, yeah, it was rough, man. People looked down on us because we were city folk and they were not. So that well, was so going, But going from that environment to the other one must have been challenging because if you were already that young, knowing that you wanted to do, yeah, you know, theater mm-hmm. and really be in front of audiences, because you do a number of things now, and we'll talk about this sure. also, but you not only do sort of acting, but you also do improv, you teach improv, yeah. and you do stand-up. And you really get to listen front of to myself audiences. talk a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's either that or the horrible inner monologue. One of the two. Yeah. That, and that doesn't stop either. <laughs> that doesn't stop running. I wish my inner monologue was a different voice. Wouldn't that be nice? I think I might try to work on that. You could have like have a my better. My inner monologue be like maybe someone from <laughs> New Zealand. Who's like constantly encouraged. You could be like, I turned my Siri to uh, Australian. That'd be great. Because I was like, she like, can say mate, really nice things just, to me. You know, grab a slice of pizza on your way to work. Like just like a nice little. <laughs> You're wonderful, mate. Yeah. It's okay. You'll, you know, you'll work out sometime. <laughs> you'll get to the gym eventually. Like, just this happy little Aussie. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's my new inner monologue voice. Oh, man. So, like, so, uh, but what was that like for, if you knew you wanted to basically spend your, I mean, how serious were you when you were seven about <laughs> spending your life doing? <laughs> how serious were you when you were yeah, seven? Yeah, I mean, I'm serious. I, I, I mean, as serious as a seven-year-old could possibly be about something. Because I can believe that somebody could be very serious. Like, I think that Daniel Radcliffe, you know what I mean? He, sorry, if you guys hear this in the background, it's because I fucked up my stupid nice mic. There we go. Stan. Oh, wow. All you right. Were, you were the first, it. you were the first F bomb. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Well, I, t- I, I typically, a few, a few minutes in, I typically drop one and just to make sure the middle schoolers can't download this because of the explicit my, writing. My college students used to check the clock for how my, my first class started at 8am uh-huh. improv class on, at 8am in the morning. And uh, yeah, as opposed to the other AM, uh, and they would they would time, <laughs> they would check and see. They were like, "How long before he says fuck?" And some days it was like during attendance. Yeah, I'd be like, "Who the fuck's missing?" And they were like, "Oh man, you didn't even make it to the actual yeah, from, class from, from Bensonhurst, motherfuckers." Yeah, yeah. It, it, for co- I felt like for college students, it made them 
more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, because it feels like you guys are in the same on the same boat. We were. I was usually hung over, so that that's really <laughs> we were definitely funny. from the same boat. All right, so let's Sorry. back up because where I wanted to, where I was going. Yeah, uh, how serious was I at seven? Yeah, well, I mean, how much? What did that mean to know that? I mean, to have a sense of like, here's what I want to do because right. and I then it got taken away. Yeah, 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 because that would have been quite. I mean, like I started doing stand up when I was sixteen, and I did it for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty regularly and pretty successfully for at least for someone who's in their late teens. Right. And then I went off to college and really couldn't do it for a, a long time because I was focused on other things and went through a right. whole lot of life stuff and um, still did it sometimes. But I can imagine that even as a kid, because you're not your identity is not even fully formed yet, but to have a connection with like, this feels real to me and I want right. to do this more yeah. as an end in my life, as an end in itself. Yeah. Um, and then having it taken away from you is probably a, probably a lot. Yeah. I mean, I went from essentially all of seventh, eighth, and ninth grade with almost no, there was nothing up there. My, where my mom moved us, they just didn't have anything. There yeah. wasn't a drama club yet. I mean, there's 75 kids in your graduating class. Half right, of them was, would be, if they did a song and dance musical in oh, the theater program, there would have been half of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, uh, I don't know if it contributed to it. It was a combination of things, but uh, I, I had a drinking problem very young. Yeah. So my sophomore year. It sounds like an artist. Of high school. <laughs> I, I, I would sneak a fifth of bourbon into like a bottle of Jack, uh, into a bottle of uh, Dr. Pepper. Oh, wow. So either Jim Beam or Jack Daniels, and I would like sneak it in. And drink it throughout like the first few days of school, but then I would like add Dr. Pepper so you couldn't tell. Uh, so it would start out at the beginning of the week with a little bit of bourbon and mostly Dr. Pepper, and then by the end of the it week, was mostly Dr. Pepper. It was mostly no, mostly bourbon. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I, had, I kept drinking it, but oh, I wouldn't. Man. I wouldn't re-add Dr. Pepper. I would just add more bourbon. Oh man! So I would start out with a full like twenty ounce bottle or, or liter bottle of Dr. Pepper with a shot, and then as I would drink it, I would add just more. <laughs> more whiskey or bourbon and i did that so i was i think that was like 15 years old so this yeah. is how big of I a square i am oh we sold there was like you could buy pop at my school yeah and i say pop because i grew up in michigan gotcha and I'm familiar it, it's weird because i never thought about that i was like i could you know what i mean you never thought about sneaking booze into it no ever yeah that's so most of my friends didn't either i had a i had a legit drink i mean I, my, my english teacher who ended up starting the drama club almost because of my drinking problem. She was like, we got to find something for you to do. She Holy was shit. really a caring and person. She, she knew about it. She was aware of that. Yeah. You she's were... the only teacher who, when I look back, looking back on high school for me, I think like now there would be interventions. There'd be serious situations. Like well, she this knew. Is back, so what year was and this? And she kept it quiet. Uh, 1990. Oh man. 1990. Yeah. So this was just so kind she, of at the starting to be the, when stuff was serious, I guess, because like I have these stories from my dad, uh, who, and uh, like his brother, like my uncle who talk about stuff that was going on in like the early eighties, even mid eighties. Right. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we used to moon cops coming out of McDonald's and yeah. we would like, they would bust us on the street and they'd find like a whole bunch of, yeah. you know, I mean, I, like, I this is not, like and just 90s. to be clear, this is not my dad saying this necessarily, but people his age have been like, yeah, they would pull us over and find like weed in the car and like open cans of booze and they would force us to like throw it away and pour it out. And then they'd be like, drive straight home. Right. Get like, and right it just, home. that was it. And like now yeah. you'd go to fucking jail for any of that stuff. You think so? Oh, to, if you please, where oh, you open, were from that, open so can, the, the, pri the privilege yeah. wouldn't, the white guy privilege thing wouldn't oh, kick no in. Oh no way! Or? Not at all. Huh. I knew so many. I knew so many people who like would in high school and early college who open container and they would be straight up 
in the courtroom having yeah. to deal with like all of the stuff. I got um, I lived in Rochester, New York, right before I moved to Chicago. Sure, for almost eight years, and I got uh, I was leaving a theater that I helped uh, operate while I was there. And I, we were we were missing some props, and I had to run home quick before a show. But between the time like the audience was already seated, and we're like, "Holy cow, we forgot some stuff." Yeah. So I had to run home, and I I pulled out of this parking lot, and I was easily on a regular little city street. I was easily doing like sixty miles an hour. Yeah, you were flying. I was flying, and uh, and it was in it was on the borderline of like not a great neighborhood and an okay neighborhood. Dude. So so there was always cops around and stuff like that. I got pulled over. The cop recognized me from a show yeah. that he had seen, so that helped. Right yeah. He was like, oh, you're from that theater. I was like, yeah. And then he goes, didn't you also call, like, last summer there were some people putting illegal fireworks on the block behind you and you and called like, in? Yeah, I called I that like, in. I called that in. And so he was like, okay. So he starts walking away from the car and he's gesturing to me. He goes, listen, do me a favor. Slow down and, you know, stay off the phone. And uh, put your seatbelt on and try to stop at lights. Like I had, yeah. I had broken <laughs> so many laws and nothing. And I yeah. didn't even get, and I thought about it, it. It made me, that was one of those early white privilege moments where I was like, ah, if that was any of the African-American members of our troop. Oh, he'd be done. He'd be on the hood of the car in Rochester, oh, New York. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that would have been, that would have been. I actually yeah. only had recently a moment where I was like, holy shit, man, white privilege is real. <laughs> and it's because. I, I mean, you know, which maybe shows my naivete or whatever, but it was in Edinburgh, Scotland when I went and did the Fringe Festival. Uh, One of my buddies named Sharoop Kareem came out and judging by his name, you can guess the color of his skin. Uh, (laughs) You can. I refuse to do (laughs) that. Yeah, I know, right? If that's part of this game, I'm not playing. Uh, Yeah, right. He's, uh, he's brown. He's uh, Bangladeshi actually. And uh, he's, he's, He's such a cool dude, and he's and here's the thing that's weird. He's one of the chillest dudes. He's so chill, right. and he's so like, and it's weird because you think like he doesn't give off any kind of vibe other than he's just like I'm just a chill guy, yeah. and he's totally collected. He's very intellectual. It's like you would, and which is why. And then I'm only leading that up to to point out to the fact the the color of his skin and his name are the only reasons why they like they almost didn't let him into Scotland. Like, like at the border. Yeah, and he's in the fucking show I'm producing. Like, he has to come <laughs> do the show. Yeesh. And he gets off the f- plane, and he's going through border control. He's got his passport, everything. And they're kind of like, what are you here for? And he's like, I'm in the Fringe Festival. And they're like, how long are you here for? And he's like, I have a return ticket. And he's like, showing it to him. And they're like, name the show that you're in. And he's like, the Chicago Comedy Showcase. And they opened up the Fringe program, and they're like, your name's not here. And he's like, wow. well, it's, I'm only one of a number of comedians. And then they, so he had to get his phone out. And you had already I, breezed through. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I literally walked up and I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm white. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all it takes. <laughs> Welcome to Scotland. Yeah. And so he had to actually get out his phone and show them messages I had sent him. And because my name was in the Fringe program, they were like, oh, he must, he's the producer. Wow. And they could check the Fringe. I mean, this is how sophisticated they are in a way. They could actually check the Fringe, like, like program admin website to see that I was actually the official producer and that the contact information he had for me matched the one in the system. So like, thank God for that. But like, it was ridiculous because I thought he, he had trouble and he yeah. was the only one who had trouble. That's a lot of vetting for a comedy show. It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I have to I have to admit, in their defense, not that this is terribly defensible, but like in their defense, this is the largest performing arts festival in the world. Right. And they and this has been the same summer there was attacks in both London and Paris. Sure. So they're probably like 
we got to be on top of everything. But I was like, I wasn't vetted. Why the fuck wouldn't it be a white dude? Like, that's what, if I was, think about this, and not to go on this huge rant tangent, but like, if you're really a terrorist organization, you're going to try to find a dude who looks like me, who produces an official show to go in and cause some real havoc because no one's going to suspect me. And that's exactly what happened. You're not going to get a dude named Sharuk Kareem who looks like he looks like to try to swing under the radar. That doesn't make any sense. No, no, he's going to have problems. You could have actually been loading weapons behind him while they were (laughs) doing all of this work. Looking up his info. (laughs) I'm a show producer. Oh man. It was so, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, that experience is, is legit, man. Um, well, let me get back to, so yeah, so white privilege is real. I'm glad we got that far in this conversation. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we did that. So, but what did you do? So you were drinking a lot. You were dealing with, you were dealing with, cause the, the unofficial kind of slash official conceit of this podcast is, uh, how people make meaning out of their lives and how we all deal with future or present shock in a kind of way. Like nice. life is a fucking mad, mad process. It's yeah. insane. It's a, it, it doesn't make sense most of the time. And so it's weird because you had to deal with going, I know I want to be in front of people. I don't want to be an audience and now I don't have an opportunity to do it, which is why, I mean, it makes sense to kind of like check out or start chemically, you know, enabling yourself. Yeah. She, (laughs) my, my English teacher was handing back tests the day that she really brought it to me. It's, it's, it's wild looking back at me. She, she was, I, I still did well. I was still an okay student. I was, I was able to get by. You know, and I she dropped a, a a quiz on my desk, and I had gotten an A on some spelling thing or whatever. And I slapped her on the ass as she walked by, like full no hand, fucking way. Flap. How was old like, is hey. this woman? She was young too. I mean, she was she was a young lady. Um, yeah. But she uh, but still she was my teacher, still, and I was fifteen, so that wasn't appropriate. Yeah. And so she stopped. That's madness. And she was cool, man. That's she so was crazy, an early. Though. She was like an early feminist. Yeah. Uh, in my life, not, sure. not early for her, but like for yeah. Me. Well, cause she's probably like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah. And so she was really, really uh, sweet, and she said, "Look, you know, we got to talk." So after yeah. class, we sat down, and she asked me what the hell was going on, uh-huh. and I was like, "Nobody gets me. I hate it here. Yeah, and I can, and I don't have to deal with the world if I'm plastered." Yeah, you know. And then she was really. I remember her laughing because she was impressed with how how many different ways I had found to sneak alcohol. Oh my god! Into school, she's like, "This kid is clearly pretty smart." Yeah, that was the other part of it. It was <laughs> he's like a, a real problem solver. That this statement guy. I feel like a lot of artists get when they're dealing with like you're too smart for your own good. Well, that it's, was something. I that think I there's something to, to it because it's kind of like if you were just. Uh, have you ever taken the Myers Briggs? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what did you get? I'm bipolar, man. So uh, that's <laughs> I funny. Think I take that's all funny. those tests all the time. Yeah. I never memorized it. I took whatever is the most obnoxiously outgoing person. Yeah, I'm ENFP, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I think that's probably true of a lot of performers in that yeah. who are but somewhat I think that, in that space. But I, but I look at those tests, and I try to answer them questions honestly. Yeah. And when I look at the way that I'm answering them, I'm almost answering questions for tests like that with what I know the perception of me is. Yes. Because I'm not the thing that's that, that super, ever turns out By the out way, to that's be. super ENFP to right. do. Which is it's weird. really hard because ENFP can solve those kinds of problems like really easily. And right. we're so extroverted that you almost need someone else socially to even feel like yourself. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's bizarre because it actually is a good recipe to create a fucking, you know, addict. But like, yeah. Because, but it's true, and it's, it's funny because I, some of my other friends in comedy are also ENFPs. I'm definitely one. And not that I'm saying you necessarily have to be one, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said, whatever the oh, – I'm listen – I'm an Aries. Yeah. And that's not, I guess, <laughs> even saying that out loud cracks me up because I don't prescribe <laughs> to it. Yeah. But if anyone who, who happened to, to be hearing that 
thinks they know what an Aries is, that's what I am. Yeah. Like if you like, oh, it's just like I, I just run through things. I'm I'm always moving and going. thinking. I can't yeah. shut up. And I'm I'm pretty serious about like I, serious was a weird way to put that. Like I, I'm bipolar. I did, I had I was diagnosed at 31 after my third suicide attempt. Damn man. So or 30. No no excuse me 33. Whatever age that Belushi and yeah, Farley yeah. didn't make it to. Wow. I almost didn't make it to that age. Wow. And I just made it through that. And uh, so. That, that stuff is serious to me. Like all, all I mean by serious is like, not that I take it seriously and I'm not willing to be open about it, but I make sure that, that I, I have the information I need to, to Got it. understand that. So all of those things are accurate. So the ENFP, like it's just these, these personalities that are put into the world, I think to just stir shit up. Uh-huh. It's not even necessarily to accomplish anything. I can't, you know, try to make it sound like that because of the way that I am, that I actually get things done uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. But I definitely end up being an agent for change or chaos or energy. Mm-hmm. Like if you need, listen, I don't drink coffee I and mean, it cracks me up. Like, again, I was a teacher, like my class started at eight in the morning and I would tell students like, listen, this is who I am Yeah, from jump. Yep. So uh, you can't imagine me on, on Coke or, <laughs> or, you know, like so, uh, yeah. or, you know, or any caffeine. Like I just can't, you're I just, just, you're just, just constantly sipping. rolling. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the zone. Yeah. So that's so the, so the booze man in, in school slowed me down. Yeah. It, it, it was perfect. And so, but the, this, this teacher was so sweet. She just said, listen, we got to do something for you. And she's like, what do you want to do? And I straight up told her, I said, I miss doing plays. Yeah. I, this, that's what I did as a kid. I did plays all the time. Yeah. So she's like, oh, well, we'll pick a show. And it was this tiny little small town. And she just picked our town. Uh-huh. And it was the first show we did. And she essentially picked it for, there was a handful of us. I wasn't the only one. Yeah, yeah. There was a few kids that needed an outlet. Yeah. And she was recognized that and the kind of person who also was into that. Uh-huh. And she created a, the, the drama club. And that got me back in into, the, the, into the space. Yeah. And then I ended up going to college for theater. Where did you go? Because I started at Long Island University, mm. uh, which was a little private uh, private university um, on the North Shore of Long Island. I was the poorest kid at that school, man. Oh, man, I, no, I, no, no my joke, I bet. I bumped into a kid who uh, also came from uh, very little, as I did. But most of the kids there were really rich. I had a, <laughs> I had a Nissan Sentra hatchback, like an 88. Oh, man. In 1994, I had an 88 Nissan Sentra hatchback. And in the parking lot in the school, it was like Volvo, Audi, BMW, oh, yeah, of Jeep, course. Mercedes. All these kids. And then my car. <laughs> I had a private Long Island school from probably the fucking Hamptons yeah. or something. Yeah. So I got accepted to that school, um, and I could only stay for a year because the government cut a bunch of art grants and then I ended up at a state university in Western New York called Fredonia. Oh, yeah. They wanted you out of their fucking school, probably. They were trying to figure out a way to get... <laughs> Let's get Hatchback Kid out of here. <laughs> Can we get that kid with the... If he's Nissan? not selling us Coke, we don't want him here. <laughs> I sold weed. That's a crazy story. <laughs> oh, man. I've uh, never sold weed, but I feel like everybody who's ever been involved in the arts mostly has sold weed I sold, at listen, some point. I'm going to say only this much for two reasons. One, there's a lot of implications here that sure. I've never dealt with. Yeah. Two, it's a... S- it's a script I've always been working on. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Get, but no, I the, the weed that I sold as a freshman in college came from the public safety officers. What? Who would, yeah. That doesn't was, surprise me either. He caught me and said the only way I was going to get to keep doing what I was doing, not get kicked out of school and everything, was if, if I started like, selling for him. See, this is so interesting because <laughs> I had, uh, at my high school, we had this guy... Uh, oh shit, he was a security guard. We had two, we had cops who we had like dedicated. I went to a school that had 6,000 kids and we had dedicated police officers who were like our high school police officers, especially right. after well, that's like, like a little Columbine. City. Yeah, it's like a small, there are towns that are right. smaller than the, oh, that I high to, school. That's the yeah. one I, my mom moved us to. Yeah. It was definitely smaller, smaller than that. Than that. 
<laughs> than your high school. I know it's crazy. So you definitely had your own political yeah. s- social system oh, man. inside. It was that. so it was so insane. And so we had uh, Officer Schmedley, and then we had this guy. And I'm trying to remember the security guard's name, uh, and I'm not gonna. But he. He was definitely like a, he was, people bought drugs. There's, I know for a fact people bought drugs from him. I mean, right. I didn't, I didn't, cause I didn't, yeah. I was such a square. I didn't do any drugs or drink really until yeah. senior year. But like people definitely like bought drugs from this dude. And yeah. I remember thinking this guy's got his own like, and it was weird because it's I remember. industry. Yeah. He had his own little industry going, but I remember even thinking at the time, like, you know, he, this guy doesn't make a lot of money. <laughs> right, right. Like, he's just... Honestly, like, they, they're they probably paying him, like, minimum wage or right next to it. Just right. let him sell a little bit of weed. It's yeah. not really hurting anybody. Yeah. And so, anyway, yeah. I think that's I, I, probably I, true of a lot of places. It's wild, yeah. I mean, it's the, it was the easiest way to get... <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. But so I, I look I look at that as a as another... That's a hilarious idea for a, 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 a movie or something, though. Yeah, yep. Because I've had a couple ways that I tried to think about which angle I would take on it. I could see that as a musical. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, I did. I did. Uh, it's just that's the quickest way in is theater. I don't even think I I, I understood what I was doing as a freshman. I listen. Uh-huh. I didn't want to be an actor when I was a kid. Of course, I did a play. Yeah, but I spent. My parents were divorced and stuff. I spent my time in front of a television. I was yeah. raised. My mom yeah. had two jobs. Your brain was probably working all the time. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I would. I mean, I I have legit memories of the original cast of SNL, which makes me only four or five years old. Uh-huh. So my mom had me up late. You very were in, young. which was what seventy six. Yeah, so I was yeah. born in seventy six. Uh, so like the so by, so you by must have been, must have been 80, eight, yeah eighty. You were three or four years old, and they yeah. were still on the on the air. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was watching that and, and I have memories of the, you know, it, definitely by the time you get to Eddie Murphy and them, forget it. I was up late watching it. It uh, wasn't, there was no, it wasn't on demand the way it was now, way it is now. Yeah. So, uh, I, I wanted to, I had no real perception, even though I had done plays of that being the lifestyle. I wanted to be on television. Yeah. I wanted to be on night court or cheers or <laughs> some crap night like that. Court. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, I have, you know, that those oh, were the man, shows, that, man. Yeah. That's so I would funny, watch though. all that crap with my mom because she was a single woman who just I, we hung out like yeah. my mom and I hung out, dude. Yeah. We were just we were just buddies. So what was the first? Let me ask you this then, yeah. and what, maybe it was when you were seven. But what was the first role that you had when you were playing a role that really either challenged you or you walked away from it being like I this was meaningful for me somehow? Yeah, that was like, that was freshman year of college. Yeah, because until then I thought I was. I was, everything was all comedy. Yeah. Even though I did Our Town, I did Harvey in high school, you know, like just real fluffy stuff. Um, but then my freshman year, I got cast in a Tennessee Williams play. Which, which play wagons, was it? 27 Wagons Full of Cotton. Got it. And I played I've Jake. never, re- I've never read or seen that one. It's, it's essentially, it's so sad. It's just a, a, a cotton farmer who, you know, I think burns down his own. Damn. He, 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 he commits arson for insurance money yeah and then he kind of gets he gets caught that sounds and like a tennessee he, williams play he beats his wife <laughs> yeah now He's, it definitely sounds like a tennessee yeah, williams i mean i had play. i had to smack my friend around a whole bunch That's and, hot. um it was pretty crazy <laughs> it was and it was one of those early things where it was like i was got thrown in from listen from doing like into the woods and doing you know and then all of a sudden this school saw me as someone who even though 
you know, I have big eyes and I'm a large guy. I was always known that that's where the comedy comes from. Like, oh, sure. you have yeah. big eyes. And yeah. You're a false staffy man. This place threw me in, right. This place threw me into Suburbia by Eric Bogosian uh. and, and Tennessee Williams. And they were like, you know, we're going to make an artist out of you. And it really changed me because I went to school thinking I would probably end up doing, you know, probably musicals or, and I wasn't really even super into that, but Long Island University was very anti that. Like they still did musicals to make yeah. money. But when we were in our acting, they were, our they were it was classes. like they were serious about yeah. this is character exploration. Yeah. This is world exploration through character. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, I got into it, man. I, ju- well, I got why into was it. that role so? Was it because it was just not typically? It wasn't like it was. Uh, you were cast against type, sort of, or was it? What was it about that role that was so eye opening for you? I mean, I I belted my friend across the face. I mean, we, we did all the <laughs> stage work, right? Yeah. And I remember the weird little stupid connections that I have in my head to the audience reactions to things. There were people in the audience who like gasped. And so to tap into something where like, you know, I'm sitting in a theater that's only got 70 people in it. And cool you're, black box and theater. you're fucking hitting this um, friend just, of yours. You're yeah. hitting a woman basically. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and the audience is, and it's intense for an audience to, and it's intense for you to have to, do that as that actor who yeah. has to be the, to the conduit for I was only 18 and you're pulling everybody with you right yeah so so i think that uh, i was used to making people laugh and then the reaction there's a heaviness to that yeah the reaction from that kind of work um i ended up doing a lot of stuff like that in school mostly because of my size i mean as a as a as a fat kid, you play older people sure. in plays, and yeah. colleges need that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they're putting together their departments, they're not just hiring every yeah. adorable little ingenue because they can't do anything That's with that. That's so funny. So, you know, I, but I, I still did a handful of, uh, even when I transferred um, schools, I did comedies a bunch, and then I started an improv troupe. But the plays that we did, man, I would constantly get cast in, in pretty grimy situations i was very i played a lot of violent characters uh-huh. um i played a you know one of my buddies cast me as a correction officer and i had a i had to like rape someone on stage jesus and my mom came to that show wow and i remember her telling me after that's so intense me, man yeah, she, yeah i remember her telling me after like she liked the show but she hated yeah that you had to do that, that i did that and yeah. i was like but, but my mom was also really into tv and movies and stuff so she she got <laughs> yeah. it you know she she was cool with it yeah but i mean it was i mean i lie it was live on stage man i mean i had to do that in front of like my college environment yeah you know so like that's a matinee 200 something a matinee people show. Yeah. and your friends are you know you got people that and and you yeah. get a reputation for that stuff quick well it's weird too because you you have to find i mean like i've done some acting stage acting and uh another acting but it's strange because you have to find that space in yourself yeah. and it's and you have to have a relationship with it kind of and it's strange because you in this people who do not do acting don't understand this that part, uh, like I had to play a character who was, uh, pretty intense like that once. And I didn't have to rape anybody, but it was like pretty, I played a pretty evil dude. And I remember thinking, I, I know this guy exists inside of me already somewhere. Right. And it's weird. Cause you're like, now I'm not, now I'm going to be that guy. Yeah. And then when you're done, you're like, well, bye. <laughs> to yeah, this dude exactly. who's like inside I really of- don't want to be that guy anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the girl who played uh, in the scene with me in that, um, and I say girl because she was 18. I think it's fair. Yeah. She was a young woman. Yeah, yeah. Young woman, girl. Um, but she didn't, we, we rehearsed, we had to get all the movement stuff down and all the, you know, we wanted to get all the fight stuff looking right. 
But by the time we would run it full speed with acting, she probably didn't talk to me for like about four days. Well, I, I mean, it's and probably was, traumatic. It was unreal. For her to have and to I, like I deal with. Her. I was like, listen, just tell me what you need. You know, like as yeah. a friend of mine, just tell me what's not going to put you in a horrible spot for this. And she was honest with me. And she said, listen, I've experienced something very much like this in my real life. Yeah. So I'm just, I just need a break. And I was like, I got you. So seeing yeah. me, yeah. you know, didn't help. Man, that's so, so, man, that's so intense. Yeah, listen, man, looking at that kind of stuff, like, I I hope to jump back into some dramatic work. I don't know what's going to happen theater-wise in Chicago or even, you know, television and film. But there is definitely something to be said. This is not hard work. Acting is not, you know, listen, my dad was a firefighter, like I said. My mom did the 40-hour-a-week grind in an office-type situation. So what we do isn't hard in that way. Yeah. But I do challenge that. It's emotionally draining. Yeah, man. Putting yourself in that spot for someone else's entertainment, it's a trip. Well, it's weird (laughs) because it's like what you, the profession of it is that you're, you are accessing that person. Right. You know, or and you're accepting. This is the way I think about it. You're you're accessing that person. And you're projecting that person or embodying them, and you're accepting the archetype of the audience to place those projections onto you. Right. And that's a that's a, that in itself is a heavy load. Yeah. And so it's like, are you you know working on you know, just to use an analogy from my family? Are you working on the fucking line in Detroit making cars for ten hours a day? No. Right. You know, are you running into a burning building? No. Mm, right. But do did my grandfather have to deal with going to that dark of a place? Yeah. You know, for the entertainment of others or to try to portray art yeah. in a kind of way. And to, they didn't to have to do something. any of that stuff. And again, I mean it's like again, this is not a comparison apples to apples because that that yeah. kind of work is not the same. But it's like that's fucking heavy and it's it isn't not work. Yeah. Listen, after nine eleven I had a theater company in Long Island that I had started with some dear friends, and there was about twenty-five actors all living in the same house. Yeah, and uh, As I called actors my actors are want to do sometimes. Yeah, I called my pop and I was like, "Hey, do you do you want us to all come down yeah. to Ground Zero and start digging or serving soup? Yeah, or whatever? What, should, what should we do?" And he was like, "Do what you guys do." He's like, "Could you come out and do like an improv show?" And I was like, "Are you yeah kidding me? You want us to try to do comedy for?" People who are yeah. actively, what? And he was like, "That's he's like, that's what you should do." And we did. Man, that's <laughs> intense. Well, it's kind of like it's uh, you know, like uh, Louis C.K. Uh, talked about you know whatever you think of him now. He talked <sighs> about going on the USO, and he and Kathy Griffin were talking about this, and Michael McDonald, yeah. uh, not the singer, the yeah. comedian. <laughs> And um, Michael suck. McDonald's going to go. That would be the most <laughs> sleepiest. <laughs> going to, Louis C.K., <laughs> Kathy Griffin, and the and, singer, and, Michael, and Michael McDonald. And the Doobie Brothers. She had a place in his life. <laughs> Never made her think twice. I would go to that show. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing out there, Baghdad? <laughs> Mike McDonald's a white man, by the way. Anyway, blue eyed, yeah. Soul. Uh, so he, uh, anyway, I saw them. They were giving a talk um, as they were going around at these different forward operating bases, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. And Louie was doing stand up comedy without a microphone, without nothing, in a room full of six people, basically. <sighs> and it was weird because he was like, I just don't understand how, you know, what do I do? What do I do for these guys? Right. Like, and the, the I forget who he was talking to, but there was like some colonel or some high up guy who was like, "Dude, just you just showing up to right. support them, even if you bomb, even if they just it's so important. Like it makes them feel like you know you can't do anything that's going to be directly useful for them." 
Uh, oh, there we go. Well, guys, we had some technical failure, but we're back with Law Trello <laughs> right here. We were talking about some heavy stuff. Ground Zero, these kinds of things. Yeah. Doing the things that we love. Well, look uh, at it like whether it's stand-up comedy in Baghdad or yeah. improv <laughs> at Ground Zero. No matter what, man, we have a you have a thing you're good at. Yeah. And so do it. Well, do, do you the feel thing you're good at. I do you feel a responsibility <laughs> to your uh, your talent or your <laughs> like I heard this quote recently and I I, I just want to see if you have any thoughts on this is like sure. um you, you know you're a guy who's done I think more work in improv and in uh acting and things like this than I have and it would be interesting to hear how you think about this but I I I heard this quote and it was um we're talking it's from a I forget what book it's from but it was about Michael Jackson called up his manager at like, and this is back in like the, I forget when he was doing this tour, but it might've been like the early two thousands or something Oh, okay. when he was kind of coming back and he did like a, a world tour right? and he called up or maybe it was in the nineties. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He called up his manager and <laughs> like, at like four in the morning and his manager was like, what Michael, what are you calling me for? And Michael was like, fireflies. Like we need fireflies. <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry wow. about my Michael impression. But like, <laughs> You know, his manager was like, "What are you talking about, fireflies?" And Michael was like, "We need fireflies in this in the in the stage show. I see it. I don't know how we're going to get them or what we're going to do, but we need like fluttering like lights in the stage." Yeah. And his manager was like, "Uh, I I gotta. Th- can we talk about this later? This is too. This is ridiculous. Right. I don't know. You know, let's talk about this." In, like, <clears throat> yeah, he didn't shut. It didn't shut yeah, off. Yeah. In like six hours or something. Yeah. And Michael was like. No, we have to talk about this right now. We got to get the ball rolling because if we don't do it, Prince is going to do it. And I know, right? Like it's so. <laughs> is that really part of it, or did you yeah, throw that no, in? No, no, that's that's actually what Michael said. Listen, I got to. First of all, we got to address that because because <laughs> again, I grew up in New York in the eighties, and that was the that was one of the yeah. competitions we were all concerned with was who was better, Prince or Michael Prince Jackson. or Michael Jackson. And yeah. I love that Michael really thought about that. I thought yeah. that that was still on his mind. Yeah, his whole it, life. He's yeah. like, this son of a bitch is still Prince, following me. Yeah. He changed his name. Michael never changed his name. Michael changed his color. Prince changed his name. Like, so right, yeah. it's just. They, dig, they, they dug in. So that's it, amazing, first of all, that yeah. he was as concerned about. That's, for me, and that's amazing, because that's like if Coca-Cola woke up and was worried about Pepsi. Yes. They're just not. Yeah. He, he's Michael, man. He should have never been worried about Prince. You never look in the rear view. Yeah. Just don't worry but about But he's just thinking. But the, but the thing that I dug about that story, and the thing <clears> that <throat> I've been concerned with and thinking about lately is. You know, you the universe wants to create, and uh, you know, I don't know what your belief system is. Anybody listening? Um, personally, <laughs> I'm functionally an atheist, but I think that there is some kind of strange truth to the idea that the universe is just trying to create, and it is either going to create through you or it's going to choose someone else or something else. Sure. And you have to be there. So Michael's idea was he was like, the universe is asking for for fireflies, yeah. and if I don't do it. It's going to choose someone else. Right. And he might as well do it since he had the... Right? It did come to yeah. him. Right. So I feel like there's a something there because there's almost this kind of like, look, you know that you had, even at a young age, this, this kind of, I need to get in front of people and yeah. create stuff. And your father's even recognizing it where he goes, no, 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 the universe is not asking you to come here and clean up shit right. to help out. It's asking you to show up and yeah. keep people's spirits up in the midst of the worst tragedy New York has ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely... I, I definitely agree that we tend to look for look for uh, 
the reason to do a thing. Sure. Like I want to look for the, like, why, why do I need to do this? Yeah. Like, what, but when it presents itself, that's better. Yeah. When it's just like, this is the thing that needs to get done. Yeah. You know, so I was looking for something, a, a way to be helpful. And, and in trying to do that, you were in a, you're in that perpetual state of trying uh, rather than just be the thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm always been kind of interested in that as an idea is, you know, that's fascinating. The second that you stop trying to do a thing, things present themselves. Yeah. That's wild. Um, that's yeah. interesting. So I feel like that's a, that's kind of a part of how I've, moved along that said i career wise listen man i'm 41 and i'm lucky i've had a bunch of weird successes I'm, yeah no one knows who i am you're a you young know. 41 though yeah. <laughs> i'm an immature 41 uh, well you know but uh yeah no I'm, i mean yeah i'm youthful i don't know i don't i don't know what that even is anymore sure. I, I don't i feel 17 yeah like i i'm i'm not really any different yeah. Energy wise, like I still have the same amount and my knees hurt a little bit. But yeah. That's, about, <laughs> that's like the 41 year old version of me. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't know which part to be like concerned with sure. like career wise. I think I heard uh, probably Stern or something bad mouth in somebody recently and his whole thing was like, this guy's 40 something, 42 years old and nobody knows who he is. And I was like, man, you don't know what's going on in people's yeah, lives people, career nobody wise really, it's people nobody real nobody really knew louie until he was in his 40s yeah, like whatever i mean i i've had plenty of audience members that sure you know yeah i'm not on this this you know this national platform um but i'm just doing my thing yeah so i i would say that well you also don't seem yeah. uh, if i can venture this you don't seem concerned about the idea of becoming famous like you seem like you <laughs> are more interested in trying to create yeah i just want to do stuff yeah exactly yeah and making I, some money doing it is always nice. I mean, that would be great. Yeah. But uh, I, I just want to keep doing different things. That's it, man. I just had this. It's funny. I had this conversation with... Um, she comes up on every podcast I've had now since talking with her. I had this conversation with Chanel Preston, the uh, adult actress. Yeah. Uh, maybe you've seen some of her work. And yeah. she... <laughs> I honestly haven't. <laughs> okay. Well, it's very good. <laughs> There'd be a few <laughs> people you could name. I would be like, yes, but no. <laughs> uh, it's very good work. Yeah. Awesome. She's uh, she's very cool. And it was funny because we were talking about like going into actually porn is kind of similar in a strange way to going into uh, comedy or even <laughs> acting or theater. Or, yeah. Going into porn is the same as going into war <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. Um, anyway, the but it's strange because it's like you're taking things that you kind of are doing naturally in your life. In the sense that you're, yeah, like you're entered, you would entertain people, yeah, you would yeah. be funny with your friends, you would tell stories with them normally. And uh, just as in the same way that people have sex na organically, naturally, that happens in the right. world. But you're like, now I'm going to try to do this professionally. Right. And there's something strange about a little bit about that. <laughs> where you're yeah. like, now I'm going to do this so well that people are going to pay me. And then that's what changes the, the thing that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I like, so I'm a big fan of, like, of Rogan's podcast, right? Yeah, totally. And so one, I think he always says that his goal is he sets out to just have a conversation with someone like they would as friends. Yeah. But then the second that the mics are on and, the, and the, everything's heightened, yeah, everything's a little bit so that that's where the challenge yeah. comes. So suddenly it's like, and you can see so it the idea of like having sex. I know, like, right? She's like, well, it's it's what we all do. I'm like, yeah, but we don't do it like that. Yeah, like, we no don't one's do it trying like to go. It. Yeah, we don't I'm, need a 20 minute scene to take place. Well, there's like, and there there's a there's definitely a, a level of skill involved in. In, in any of these art forms, including <laughs> porn, to be perfectly honest, because it's like, Definitely. well, because it's like, it's not just, you know, to have, to be able to perform sexually. Like she was talking about it. She's like, I'm, I can get, she's like, whatever the, whatever ADD is, I have the opposite. She's like, I Hyper can focus. I can focus so much that I don't even notice anything else around me. Wow. 
And I would imagine you'd have to have that to do something like that. But it's the same thing a little bit with like comedy or with even with Joe Rogan in the sense that you you have to you have to have these certain types of skills that you wouldn't normally practice or possess in your normal life, right. but you have to use them in this very specific circumstance. Like being on, st- being able to be authentic or vulnerable with your friends is one thing. These are people who know you, and in some right. ways, that's more challenging than being vulnerable in front of an it audience. Can be. Right. But being able to be authentic and grounded and vulnerable in front of a hundred or a thousand people yeah. is t- completely bizarre. Yeah. Like, and it it it's a, it's a similar kind of I think strange strange thing. Does that make yeah, sense? Definitely, yeah. yeah. I just, I definitely never thought about porn actors using what they do in their everyday life in what they do yeah. for work. Uh, but it's it, strange, but right? it is, it is literally a human function, so <clears throat> it's definitely strange. Yeah. I, well, no, anyway, that's a unique uh, aside, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I remember having that realization at one point when I started out doing improv in New York, and I was doing some stand-up at the time, too. Yeah. Uh that most of the time, the people, the professionals that I was friends with, that I was hanging out with, um, and some of these guys were amazing comics. I mean, probably looking at the way his career is going now, it's it's, it's still it's awesome. And he's he's a bit older than me. I think he would probably punch me in the face if I said his actual age or if I actually know it. But uh, Greer Barnes is just like yeah. an amazing influence yeah, on, my, yeah. on my on my comedy life. I watched him perform three four sets a night for a year of my life. Yeah. And we wrote every day together on this weird sketch show. This was like this predated funny or die. So yeah. it was like when the internet had a comedy boom. Yeah. I worked for this weird, um, this was, yeah, this was probably, you had college humor and then like, uh, e-bombs world maybe. Yup. Yeah. So we had, we were comedy net. We, I worked for this thing called oh, Comedy great. Net. It was owned by uh, the guy who owned the Spice Channel. Speaking whoa. of pornography. Yeah. So that gentleman wanted to get in on the comedy boom. Yeah. And uh, See, we had kind yet of done another some work. example of where these Venn diagrams overlap. Oh, definitely. And he, he I mean, <laughs> that guy ended up, he was putting money into this this online you know, comedy network, so to speak. It was called Comedy Net. But he, he ended up... Uh, taking stand-ups and putting them in burlesque shows because he was uh, just it was like he couldn't get away. He kept trying huh. to like get away from the porn world. Yeah. But he was trying to sell on demand content. And the only way to do it was to find a way to get someone naked uh, and then still put a stand up in there. Got it. So I I just had this opportunity to work with these guys and and be around this kind of that that community. Uh, and uh man watching them perform it really, and there was a lot of them. It was, it was him. Rick Shapiro was kind of big on that list for oh, me yeah. back then. Those guys, and he he was he's got a crazy connection to Louis. He's also going through some, some ridiculous health stuff these days. Yeah, and I look at you know, and I'm like I said, I'm, I'm getting older, and I and those guys are a little older than me. And uh, I, anyway, to their work ethic, it was unbelievable. I uh, watched them yeah. do set after set after set. But then when we hung out, those guys were very rarely funny. Uh, and I loved that. Yeah, I was like, these are normal guys. When I would hang out with younger comics, they try I felt to like be there was no conversation. Yeah, it was just one up each running other bits. Yeah, running bits. Oh man, that's why I other. hate hanging out with improvisers a lot. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not all that way, but there's a Listen, it's a real fault. There's generalities of, among yeah. us that work. Yeah, but, yeah. I think the thing I, I enjoyed that felt different about probably, and it's probably just my um, propensity or, or <laughs> the fact that I've done improv more. Uh, than, than I have done stand-up. But I think that I my friends and I would start like completely rhetorical conversations uh-huh. that didn't feel like bits because I knew that we were improvising them. Yeah. 
but looking back, it was You're just like, as we're obnoxious. just running bits. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was just it was just like having a, a conversation about nothing. Yeah. That had no grounding and no meaning in anything. And those, the, I would say the 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 guys who had been doing stand up or even improv for a while before that, they didn't do that. Uh, I didn't see them doing that stuff. They talked to each other. Yeah. They got to the heart of questions and situations with each other, whether it was just at a Chinese restaurant or walking across the street to grab coffee. Uh, they got to stuff. They would yeah. work things out. And then you would see the result of that in their work. Yeah. You would see the result of, of having Because then they'd epiphany. mull it over. They'd yeah. probably do some writing. They'd go work it out on stage. Right. Yeah. There was yeah. some revelation they'd have. Yeah. Versus just working on the bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was, uh, that was an early influence for me. It was just like realizing like, oh, I, don't have to, I don't have to work on the bit. When I'm with my friends, we can be real together. Well, let me ask you, you know, so now you're, this is an interesting time in your life. You come out to Chicago, you're yeah. kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you've been out here for almost a year, but like, what's, uh, what are, what are the projects you're focused on now? Or like, where, where do you want to go next? Yeah. So uh, thanks for asking that. Cause now I'm <laughs> making me think about thanks, it. <laughs> thanks mom. Um, yeah. Thanks. yeah. I mean, project wise, um, I've, I've, I love creating. I love like collaborating yeah. uh-huh. I'm big like you said like you said I mean, when you said that before that really hit me the idea that uh whether it's a personality trait based on a myers-briggs thing or something yeah but the idea that i i quite often don't feel like i have an identity unless i'm working with someone else uh-huh. that's huge for me yeah, I'm, yeah. Also, I'm an only child uh, so i think i was always yeah. looking for that starting that, to come that, together that, that, i that see thing. it yeah oh yeah <laughs> i it's mean to say because i have two half siblings uh, that I love dearly. Yeah, but but I, but I grew up as an only. I child. have an old. I have an older Jesus. I'm the oldest. I have a younger sibling. She's four years younger. But we think of ourselves, I think, as only children a little bit. <laughs> I get you it. You grew up in a different environment. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, my, I'm I'm 11 years older than my sister and 15 years older than my brother. Oh wow, yeah. So I didn't and I didn't grow up in the house with them. So I so as an so again for me, as a, whether it's only child, bipolar, all these fun things I've got going on in my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I quite often I, I love that work with other people. So the second I got here, uh, I didn't have a community. I yeah, mean, I had a huge. I was a part of a huge improv community in Rochester, New York. A, yeah. a huge improv stand up acting community in New York City. Yeah, I had those things. So coming here was weird for me, and it's why I got back into stand up here. Oh uh, yeah, uh, because I you don't have to ask anybody permission. You just yeah. sign up and you do it. And yeah. Fortunately, I met Joshua Stone's Throw Shine. And uh, I'm gonna hyphenate his name now. I'm gonna make it sound like <laughs> so he was, shine. that he's married he's, to himself. Yeah, I was about to be. Let me know where we're in. We're, how many equipment failures can we have in one episode? I like them. Is really what we're going for here. That well, was the second time. You said time. future shock, man, and that's, I that's know, the bang, thing. bang, this is what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, so to, to, to wrap that thought up, yeah. um, doing stand-up in Chicago, for me, has been a saving grace. Yeah. Because, like you said, whether it was moving upstate when I was a kid and there was nothing to do, if I got here and, there was, and I wasn't able to do stand-up here, There'd be, there'd be, I'd be just waiting yeah. for auditions to happen. And I Ugh, hate that life. Dude, no way. I hate just waiting. Yeah. So um, I've had an awesome time with, with, I would say, listen, I wanted to throw this out there and I might get some crap for it, but I got into, I, I threw myself more, I would say into, not just got into, but I threw myself into improv in New York yeah. in the early 2000s, mostly because the stand-up community was so challenging for me emotionally. Uh, they were kind of vicious, mean, yeah, hearted they could, people. They can definitely be that way. But in Chicago, it's been a lot of sweet folks that are just welcoming and kind. And the improv community here has felt more oh, that's so insular funny. and divisive. Listen, they're, they're going so through a serious, lot right man. now. They're I don't serious, man. They're serious. Listen, yeah. there's some stuff going on in L.A. right now with the improv community and the, their Facebook posts. I'm like, I want, I want to find a way to support what they're going through. Uh-huh. But I also want to tell them, like, hey, man, this isn't us. Like, you, 
you're acting. I want to be. You're acting like a stand-up. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I know that that would like <laughs> insult so an improviser. <laughs> yeah, that's the way you cut an improviser deep. Um, but yeah, so I, I just that that's that's the deal for me, man. Is I just I want to work with folks. I want to have fun. I love when the work is fun. Oh yeah, and when it, when it gets stressful, I'm out, dude. That's just a bunch of BS. And not that it has to be easy. Again, I'm I'm down for hard work. Yeah, and creating and working. But I just it's I, just if it's not fun, what's the point? Like I don't, I don't understand. Like, I watch these guys that freak out on each other. Anytime you work with a director who's an absolute asshole, yep. you're like, what? The, what is your? How did you get into this? I mean, yeah. I do that as a professor. I really push that there's an ethical way to approach creating art. Sure. And the ethic for me is really just treat everybody respectfully, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit! Don't be an insufferable prick. I yeah. just don't get it. That was like my first professional experience uh, in on Broadway was with. Uh, <laughs> I get in trouble for this shit and I love it. Yeah. It was with James Lapine. Yeah, yeah. This dude's Tony Award winning director and I would watch him rip actors to shreds. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sticking around. Yeah. Like, he yelled at me once because I walked out of a rehearsal <laughs> that he was freaking out on somebody yeah. else for. And he's like, yeah. you sit down. I'm like, ah, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave. I'm sorry, man. I'm I not, don't think not, so. This is not the world <laughs> yeah. I'm from, yeah. man. Like people don't talk to each other like this without getting punched in the face. Yeah. And that's what I dealt with with stand-up early on, where stand-up comedians wanted to just kind of goof with each other. Yeah, yeah. But rip each other to shreds. And I'm yeah. like, listen, where I'm from, if you use those words, you want to fight. Yeah. And I don't think you want to fight. Yeah. And they, and most of the time they would be like, no, that's not, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to fight. I just want to fuck around. Yeah. I'm like, ah, that's cool. not my then deal. We're not going to do, yeah, right. that's not the way. And that's it, what I see what's happening with improv right now is folks are using fighting words. Oh, and I'm like, man. You're, you're just saying stuff to say stuff, but I don't think that you would say that to the person's face. Sometimes I have an issue with that. Yeah. But even if you would, I don't think that you'd have the desired effect that you think you have. And everyone's yeah. so safe in their Facebook bubbles. Oh, man. Just that's, ripping folks to shreds. It's so weird, too. And it's it's strange to me because it feels like, um, and I mean, I'm not, first of all, I think it's not, nobody is above talking shit at some level. But oh, definitely do I it. feel like Especially I've never tried to, I've never tried to like, I've never done, I've, I've tried to accept more personal responsibility for how I come off and the way that th- things happen around me. Right. And it's weird because in improv, it's like, it's such a team effort that it's almost like you, you can easily point to people and be like, they're a weak link or something like that. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that's true in yeah. the sense that I think that one of the failures of the improv community, so to speak, is that it, there are people who the rigors of stand up comedy are just harder than the rigors of improv. And there is a lot of support that people can get from the improv community that gives them the feeling like I'm good and I can keep doing this <laughs> when it's like, you're actually not good. You're and just you, in a good troop. Yeah. And you need to do better. Like, right. or you should just not this. Maybe this isn't for you at the level that you want to do it at. And right. in stand up, those people are weeded out pretty quickly because it's like, it's not forgiving in the sense right. that like you get, or up, they just stay at the level they're at forever. Yes. Yeah. Or they just stay at the level they're at forever. And it's self-correcting. Uh, yes, it's self-correcting in that way. <laughs> but like there are people in improv who can rise with like a good troupe, for example, who actually aren't that talented. Yeah. And that's one of the failures maybe of that community. And I can see that that being an easy out for people who themselves are having challenges to point to somebody else and be like, this person sucks. Yeah. And like, I don't know. It's weird because I think like you just not everybody's going to be famous. Like that's the, that's the right. challenge is yeah. like all of these people and a whole lot of them just want to get to a level where they're like not just making a living, but they're like, I'm I'm well known. I'm respected. I'm at the yeah. top of this food chain. And you're like the way, you know, not everybody's going to be that way. And and if you have to become a monster in, in, a, in order to do that, <laughs> maybe it's not worth doing, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it's better to right occupy now. a better space where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're living authentically and having some type of uh, success. That's not exactly this v- visual picture in your mind. Yeah. 
<laughs> Meredith Cachel put it like this when she was on the podcast. Not everybody is going to get the hot girl. Sorry. You yeah, know what you I know mean? You know what, man? The hot girl's overrated anyway. Yeah, she might be a huge bitch. We don't know. And she's also not as experienced because she didn't get to try things. She's also only had monsters who date her because they're the ones who will outcompete other people. So Listen, it's like, it's weird. I, I'm a big dude. And I've always, I have confidence, right? Yeah. And so getting the hot girl was never a problem yeah. for me. And it's one of those things, like, I throw it into my stand-up once in a while because I'm like, if you look at me, you're going to have perceptions of what that guy is. Yeah. But I promise you, life experience-wise, it's a little shocking. When, yeah. I, when I think about my own life, I'm like, what the hell? How did I yeah. manage to pull these <laughs> things off sometimes? So, uh, but again, uh, you compare, like, the hot girl to, like, the man that, just the girl. Yeah. Just the, have an authentic relationship. If you're relationship. just with just the authentic situation, that yeah. person's, they're, they're trying things. Yeah. They're trying stuff out. They, they don't feel like, oh, my hair has to look a certain way when I leave the room. Yeah. They don't care at all, man. They're going to get messy with you and sweaty and funky. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking for in like life. Like, yeah. People who are willing to do that. <laughs> just, I, I have this thing, like, I, I think I learned it from, or it came from a lot of places, but Amy Poehler said early in, in some of the class stuff that I, I got a chance to be a part of with her was that, that you have a willingness to be ugly. Oh, that's great. And I love that, man. I try to tell students that like, you have, a, have to have a willingness to be, I watched her play like a, a werewolf girl and a, and like a, a like a monkey person. Yeah. All and that she, stuff. And I think early in her career, people were like, man, you got to play like cute characters yeah. and be petite and be And she sweet. was like, nope. I was like, F that, man. Yeah. yeah. That's so. powerful, man. We're uh, we're about to run up on time, so I should, I should ask you, uh, where can people get at you? What can they see next from you? Where can people follow you? That's great. Um, if you're a Facebooker, I just started my stupid actual uh, Facebook page, so just search me. Nice. Man. So uh, Law Torello, I got some classes coming up at Second City. That's pretty cool. Uh, for commercial acting, which is fun. I've done a ton of those, so I try Ooh, to I, I need that. to connect Brendan Gay to you, unless he's already taking your class, which he might be. I don't know. Yeah, I fucking, I need some commercial acting tips, man. Come on out, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm happy to help. And plus, I know, just hit me up on Facebook, or go to lawtorello.com. You can reach me. My phone number's in the world. I'm not one of these guys that's hard to find. Yeah. It cracks me up when people say, like, oh, I don't want people to be able to get in touch with me. I'm like, yeah. no, get in touch with me, man. Yeah. I love that. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. There's a dude, um, I won't out him name-wise, whatever, Bill Russell. This is... <laughs> <laughs> this guy, someone had posted that I had a class coming up. Yeah. And he wrote literally on Facebook under the announcement for the class, hey, never heard of him. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, you never heard of me. I never heard of you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so if you've never heard of me, that's great. Just fine. Just come have coffee with me or something. Yeah. And now you have because you listen to him on this podcast. That's it. Um, cool. Man, you are one of the coolest dudes to speak with. And you're such a, I got to tell you this, like you're, you're such a positive guy that <laughs> like being literally being around you, like we hung out at the show that we met at yeah. and I was like, this guy's so good. Like, <laughs> he's just so positive, man. Like, Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Thanks. We're going to hug as soon as there's yeah. not microphones in the middle. Well, take the, so, so look into taking the commercial acting class at second city. I mean, yeah. it's a big deal to be an instructor at second city. That's pretty cool. I'm super psyched, man. Um, yeah. Anyway, everybody be well. Meanwhile, the madness continues. <laughs>